0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fireside Chat Fridays, sponsored by Parents for Public Schools of Syracuse, to give voice to the families and students in Syracuse on matters of education. I'm your host, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce. You can join us live on Facebook every Friday at 6 p.m. from Parents for Public Schools page. You can also tune in from Sanctia A. Calendar, Inc., Neurodiversity Consulting, and my page, Samantha Pierce. You can also find us on YouTube and on Straight Independent Radio. Now, today we have a guest, a couple of guests with us, or at least we're supposed to. Um, my guest, Liza Citron, is here. She is a colleague of mine. She's also an autistic disabled advocate, as well as she's going to school in special education here in Syracuse. Um, we were supposed to be joined, hopefully soon, by school board tw- candidate Twiggy Bilyeu, so we'll keep an eye out and hopefully she, will, she can join us. So Liza, let me get started with you. In addition to being my colleague at Neurodiversity Consulting and the Academy of Excellence and working with me on StChia.org, you are also a former Syracuse City School District student. As you are studying to go into special education, yes, can you talk a little bit about what your experiences in the city school district were like?
1: Yes, I can. For a little bit of background, I we moved a bit, a good, good bit, when I was a kid into my teens, uh, late teens maybe even. And until I was the end of third grade, I, what would have chronologically been the end of third grade, I was homeschooled. So when I got to fourth grade, which was soon after we moved to Syracuse, I started going to public school. We, my parents sent my brother to H.W. Smith because that was the school he would have gone to. However, they heard from people, and anyone who knows you know, the schools in Syracuse might have varying opinions on this, but they heard from someone that Edward Smith, K-08, uh, at the time, K-08, yeah, K-08, was the best for disabled students, or as they called them then, uh, special edu- and still call them special education students. I prefer to call us disabled students Because when you say special education students, you think of the students who are disabled. When you say special education teacher, however, you think of an able teacher teaching disabled students. And there's also a whole bunch of stuff as for why you shouldn't call us special. It may seem good, but on the surface, but it really, it separates us. And that was actually one of the big things I found in school. I started at, at, at Edward Smith School in fourth grade. And, you know, my class probably would have been overall good. I be, be aware that this part, this part of my life, this part of my experience was traumatic for me. So my memories on that aren't always the clearest of specific events because I have blocked that out, some of that out as a trauma response, which actually I've heard happens to a lot of kids, especially those of us who are artistic because our brains are constantly in some sort of trauma because we are in a constant fight or flight response. And I'm sure Sam could put those links for sources into the comments or the chat. But as I said, I've blocked out some of these, but I went into school in fourth grade. And like I said, the class probably would have been good for most students. But we had to fight me and and my parents at that point because they were the ones doing most of it for me. Tooth and nail for any accommodations we got I was lucky enough as a, lucky enough as a girl to get diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome at age five, I think was my first diagnosis. A lot of girls don't get that because we present differently. And also the distinction between Asperger's and autism is something that will come into play much later despite the fact that now Asperger's is no longer a diagnosis. It was then. And there were assumptions based on it that followed me into my school years. So at that point, when I entered the school, I was diagnosed. Asperger's syndrome was considered a subset of autism. And autism is one of those conditions that almost always means that you immediately get an IEP or That's what it should mean. In actuality, I've seen this in myself. I've seen this in other people I've spoken with. I've seen this in the education system itself that I'm now going into. You have to meet a very specific stereotype, which includes being male oftentimes, in order to get any help at all, any accommodations, anything. We had to fight tooth and nail for me to get a 504 which didn't even include 504 plan, which is one of the other accommodative plans that you can get for people who are deemed unable to get an IEP essentially, and it doesn't do as much. They thought it's sufficient for me, but even that did not have too much in it. My problems were partially social, but my problems were not of my own doing. I generally understood class. I got good grades, but that was because of work I put in outside of class, because I and other autistic people tend to hold ourselves to a very, very high standard. And I did, throughout that, throughout the time I was in school, I held myself to that standard. But I was marked as different. I was the artistic girl. Not only was I the artistic girl, I was the Jewish girl. So I was out of class on certain days. I couldn't participate in social events that occurred on Saturdays. I couldn't do after-school stuff on certain Fridays because if they went throughout the year, they would interfere with Shabbos, uh, Sabbath they would go over sundown so i was already singled out in so many ways and all but very few teachers saw me as adding to their workload because i was singled out and the and the social consequences from that i was very much the weird kid in school i was a social pariah i was very much no one People tried to talk to me, but if they did, it was for their own reasons, except for a very few people who ended up leaving me for their own reasons later. I was that person who didn't have any friends in school, but not only did I not have friends, I was resented for the negative effect I supposedly had on others the effect of making more work for the teacher. I was often blamed for my own being bullied, like you couldn't be more normal, you couldn't be more this, you couldn't try not to stand out so much, you couldn't just be like them. No one, very few people said this outright, but it was clear, it was clear that that was what they expected. So not only was I the weird kid, but I was the kid who was outcast. I was the kid who had very few of her teachers like her because you know, she was making more work for them and often they did nothing to stop it. And this is important when we think about the fact that around 40% of neurotypical kids, and I think this includes disabled kids And non-disabled kids, but I'm not entirely certain, report being bullied in school. I have a source for that I can send afterwards. Whereas over 80%, I think it's in the high 80s of autistic kids report being bullied. That's more than double the amount that neurotypical kids experience. And that can really have an impact on your learning. If you don't feel safe in an environment, we're not going to be adequately able to learn. And we already don't feel safe because again, our brains are on high alert all of the time. We're reacting to everything that comes in our way. You might see me being distracted by things, easily distractible because our brains are on high alert and we have to notice everything because in our the way our brains are perceiving it, everything could be a danger you are in a dangerous space because your brain is telling you, this is dangerous, this is dangerous, this is dangerous, when it's not most of the time. And when you're in school, that really will impact your ability to learn. So not only was I not getting accommodations, mostly any at all, I don't think I really got alternate testing location until after the first year. And even that was a, basically they just give that to people if they fit the criteria. That's one of the just, if you will, give away accommodations, if Mm -hmm. they they can easily
0: feel like you need it. But I didn't- What I'm hearing is, is that as a student with disabilities and also a student who is part of an ethnic minority, you had a difficult time yes. in the Syracuse City Public Schools. And you know we, we, we talk a lot about special education and disability. I promise folks that this is not necessarily a show about special education. It is about education. But it's important to note that the quality of education that students with disabilities receive is also a reflection of the quality of education that students receiving with students in general education are getting so if the students receiving uh who are supposed to be receiving special education services are not actually getting those services there's a good bet that the students in general education are also not getting the educational resources that they're supposed to have and i have to say this correlates with this can correlate with money and
1: the willingness of the parents to say Yes, well, that's the obvious thing. <laughs> and correlate with money often does as we're seeing now. Uh, I still had the same experiences when I went to Baldwinsville schools as a side note. So it's not isolated to Syracuse, but one of our colleagues, I am not going to share his name. I'm not gonna share anything because I don't know whether he would want us to, but his parents I think were probably, you would call them middle class, and they really fought for him. So I his experiences, he had teachers in his corner. He had people who were willing to fight for him. And when we're discussing things, we keep having to make sure to contextualize that as, hey, um, you know, it's great that you have that, but this does not reflect the. The experiences of students receiving special education services in general. And this was in, this was in the early 70s and late 70s, early 80s. Much if it were today, that would be one thing. Mm-hmm. But for it being then and it being such of that quality, is it, it just proves how much of an outlier that is. And yes, how representative this is of the quality of the school in general, the quality of the teaching that everyone is receiving, not just special education students. This tends to correlate with sometimes training of teachers, although well-trained teachers can still fall into these, um, these issues. This tends to correlate with teachers who not only just have a great deal of content knowledge, but have experience with students like this. Mm. It also tends to correlate to a certain degree with younger teachers, not always, but teachers who have been teaching for over 20 years or so or even over 10 years have certain assumptions about disability that are now being beginning to be broken down by people like Sam and myself, people who are actually having these lived experiences and are starting, only just starting, but starting to be listened to rather than abled individuals talking for us and and, and influencing the systems in which we live.
0: So I want to to touch on something that you mentioned, which is the relationship that you had with, the relationships that you had with the, the teachers in your school. Now you mentioned oftentimes that it was communicated to you that your your teachers the adults around you felt that you were a burden or an impediment to their work as educators. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about about how that how they communicated that to you and I can't imagine that that felt good. <laughs> uh,
1: well, needless to say, no, it did not feel good. As for how they communicated it to me, again, specific instances I don't have because that was my response. But I do know that they rejected when I wanted to have conversations with them about the issues I was facing. They, it was either an, I don't have time or I was shoot out afterwards. I wasn't given, sorry, a proper amount of time. I wasn't allowed to speak in such a way about my experiences because, I was different and I was seen as putting more work on them. I was, and some of this was just clear in their interactions. And I know, you know, autistic people, some people think that we don't understand social cues, but which some of us we may struggle with, but there isn't, there are times when it's obvious. There are times when it is clear that these teachers, are going to give attention to the students that don't make their job harder. The students that are just the way society expects, because that makes their job easier. Because sometimes teachers don't really teach. They try to sometimes, and especially for special education students, Who and who students receiving special education services who often end up getting sent to either the social worker, the speech language pathologist, these additional services are often not about teaching for a lot of students. They're about getting the student to behave and learn in a way that is easier for the teacher and closer to what society expects. And there are good teachers out there, there are good, good speech-language pathologists out there. there are, but it's undeniable that it makes it easier for teachers if their students are in compliance with what society expects. It doesn't make their teaching experience more rich. In fact, it makes it far less so. It makes their teaching experience, it makes their, it can make their lessons blander and less accessible and just having kids go through it. But it's clear that for students who fit the quote unquote normal mold of society, that makes the teacher's job easier, easier. Mm -hmm. And that's what they want. And that's what was shown to me. And that's an issue with ABA, which I'm sure we will make a podcast on later.
0: Now I want to go back to something that you mentioned before you started and you mentioned that being a student here in in the Syracuse City School District was a traumatic experience for you. Yes. Particularly you mentioned that those interactions those relationships with the adults around you at school and Parents for Public Schools of Syracuse we have done a lot of work around trying to educate the community about trauma-sensitive schools and ways in which the adults in the school buildings can interact with students to reduce the impact of trauma that students may experience outside of school and to reduce the likelihood of the school being a traumatic environment for the students. And one of the things that we know is that a a good solid trusting relationship with an important adult in a child's life provides a protective factor against the, against the traumas yes. that they may experience. Now, what you're talking about, what you're explaining here is that those, those, those adults who should have been in, creating trusting protective relationships with you were, in fact, a source of trauma. And mm-hmm. I think that is, is a, an issue that occurs over and over again in classrooms in the Syracuse City School District. Mm-hmm. And it is it is so very unfortunate. Now, I, I know that you know about trauma and trauma-sensitive schools and resilience. And I don't want to be the only one talking. So... <laughs> What what would have made that experience not so traumatic for you? I
1: have to acknowledge, I failed to mention this, but that my experience at home was not exactly the best or where I felt safe. And there's still some question as to whether that was my perception or not. But regardless of what it was, that affected the way in which I interacted at school. Now we have to acknowledge that while we're on this subject that trauma sensitivity, autistic kids are, I can't remember the exact statistics. (laughs) And Sam, I know you've, uh, You've told me you're always correct about this one, Mm -hmm. but I think think it's around 20%, I could be wrong, of students, neurotypical students Mm -hmm. reported parents or adults touching them so hard that it left a mark, touching them in such a way that it left a mark on their body. For, for autistic children, this jumps up to somewhere around between 40 and 50%, if I remember correctly, but the numbers don't quite matter. What matters is that it's much more likely among autistic children. And I'm not even gonna give the numbers for what correlates to verbal abuse, what correlates to emotional and mental abuse, but those numbers are also around twice as high, if not higher. So when you don't have that in the home, you don't have that safe space to go back to. And school becomes your option for that. And if you don't have that, your learning is, is, you're at a severe, severe disadvantage. You have to put in so much more work yourself and try and try and try. And even then, you don't have a safe space to turn back to. As for the relationship with that one adult, This really, really, really ties into Erickson's stages uh, for anyone out there who knows behavioral or social sciences. These are stages of social development that children go through. And these these theories almost all fail to acknowledge that someone can be at a certain area which may be delayed in one aspect of development, one area. And above average in another. But Mm -hmm. using that as our guideline, this all stems back to the first, a lot of this, that relationship with an adult stems back to the first issue of trust versus mistrust and attachment styles. If you don't have this adult to whom you're attached, yes, I don't need
0: to interrupt you, Liza, but we do have a couple of questions from the audience for you. Yeah, sure. This, this is from Stephanie who wants to know what year you graduated. And also who wants to know if I see any um, improvements in the schools. Um, Liza, were were you able to graduate from the Syracuse City School District? <laughs> the way Sam said that
1: gives an obvious, the answer is no. I switched schools around And thank you, what was your, what was her name? Stephanie. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Um, In the middle of seventh grade, because of an issue at Ed Smith, I transferred out to HW Smith where my brother was going. After seventh grade, my parents thought we were gonna move, you know, no sense going into that, but they thought we were gonna make a long distance move. So for, oof, It had to be almost a year. We lived with a friend of hers in Baldwinville and they were still homeschooling me, but I lived in a, I slept and did my work sometimes upstairs, but sometimes in a room that was the size of a pretty large closet, somewhat large closet. It was her sewing room. That was where my bed was set up and a table. And I reminded her, her brother dealt with CP, cerebral palsy. And I reminded him, her of him to the degree that my interactions with her were very, very difficult. This may not be why she, why that room was chosen for me. My brother was upstairs and I think he got a room with a day bed in it. but. Regardless. Oh, wow, I'm realizing things about this. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, But I was in that room. And I was homeschooled at that point. And this was a woman who entertained a lot. And my mother and she were friends from where they worked. And eventually, my homeschooling, my being in the house during the day became too much for her. And my mother decided to send me to one of the the junior high, which went from sixth to ninth, I think, in Baldwinsville. And I had the same experiences there. Mm. Finally, by the end of eighth grade, we had by the beginning of ninth, we basically decided I was going to be homeschooled regardless. And at that age, I was at that age, I was in a place where I could be self-taught. So I did. And this is going to come into play later.
0: We so you had the way that the, the Syracuse City School District was was structured, was set up. It was difficult for you to continue Yes. your education. And you know, that included factors about your family and things that were going on in your life that you know yeah. your, your, your family chose homeschooling instead of continuing in the Syracuse City School District. More than anything, I
1: chose it. And I did not end up going to any sort of high school. I did everything homeschooled. And because my father did not get the documents in on time for for me to get a a certificate of equivalency, what I did wasn't worth much. Mm -hmm. I had to get a GED. And I I know now that if I had tried to come to SU in the first place, I would never have made it. I only got in because I had community college credits behind me. And that's one of the things about kids who don't graduate because they're not served in the school system. And that's a big issue with SU. I, I was doing a project last semester where we tracked some of the different statistics for the school district, and we have a pretty high dropout rate connected to the uh, the systematic racism, the systematic poverty we have in Syracuse and other aspects. But our yeah. dropout rate is pretty high when compared to, to other
0: schools. So this is an issue that yeah. a lot of students face, yeah. not just disabled students. The last statistics we have available, Syracuse City School District had a graduation rate of about 64% or so. The majority of the students who drop out, they drop out before they get to high school. Uh, The graduation rate for students with disabilities is hovering pretty steadily at about 54%. And Stephanie, you also asked if we've seen, if I've seen improvements in schools now, with respect to understanding trauma and, and providing those resources and those protective relationships to students who are experiencing trauma in the community. And well, so I know that you have a- may be a traumatic experience. And I, I want to say you have it's a mixed bag. It's I know really that you a have mixed a kid. Bag.
1: You have a kid who's now 20, so you've seen the different yeah. stages of this. Because he was in he was in some of the he
0: was in a lower grade, but he was in s- some of these same environments as I was. Yes. And in terms of providing those resources to address trauma and to, to build trauma-sensitive environments where students feel safe and where staff feel safe. I'd, there's, there's some disconnect, like people know that this is a thing that they should do, but it's not really happening. And we live in the era of COVID now where it is even more important to have those resources available and they're just not there. Part of the problem is that the district is chronically underfunded and has been for many years another part of the problem is that there's this bureaucratic inertia that can't seem to get itself around doing things that directly benefit students Um, yep yeah it's it's frustrating (laughs) it's extremely frustrating as a parent who is aware of this information who's working Advocating for the school district to implement these changes and resources for the sake of all the students and all the families. And it's just, you know, something's not connecting to be putting those resources in place for students and for families. And and the representation in the in the administration does not merely mirror the percentages
1: that we see in the students. For example, if we saw 20% of students who, who were black, we don't have 20% of the administration who are. And oftentimes, this is true of every school district, but I think it's true of, of Syracuse especially. These people are either put in a higher position as tokenized or they're put in a lower position to be there for numbers, for the way the district looks, and if you don't have people from the communities from which your students are, from the identities from which your students are, you're not going to understand the unique causes of trauma that
0: they have. Hmm. And, and and that's a re, that's a reoccurring theme here: the the lack of representation of the families and the students here in the Syracuse City School District. Mm -hmm. We don't seem to have people who have a deep understanding of the variety of experiences of students and families in decision-making positions. And the people who are in decision-making positions don't seem to have a good handle on what the experiences of families and students are actually like, which is leading to a disconnect, a breakdown in communication, a breakdown in trust that is doing a disservice to the students here in Syracuse. Now, Liza, you, you are, you know, di- perhaps, despite your experiences, receiving special education services or because of those experiences, you are now going to school to become a special education teacher. And is it my understanding that you hope to someday teach in the Syracuse City School District? Yes, yes, I do. Um,
1: And for what you said, it is despite, but the reason is because, because this is where I saw these inequities. This is where I know what is going on. Even though I was, even though my most recent experience in the school system was, let's see, eighth grade, I would have been 13. So even though my my most recent experience in the school system as a student is 10 years going on 11 years, I've seen what happens in other school systems through my brother who never took to homeschooling. Um, Maybe one of the reasons I had to do what I did, but I see the experiences through him. I see the experiences through other children I know. And I saw part of that in the Syracuse City School District, but I also saw it compared to what happened in the other school districts. They live in the Berkshires now, which is they're probably a one of we're probably I, I lived there for three years before I moved here to go back, go to, to SU they were they're probably one of the only Jewish families in the town and one of the few in the county um this the shul that is the few shuls that are there synagogues that are there are pretty small and they are probably one of the Very few people of the socioeconomic class that we are, which is rather low in that county. You have to have money. You you, you pretty much do. Berkshire County is an expensive county to live in. And I've seen the differences in the school system. Now, mind you, my brother is not receiving special education services. He deals with ADHD. But this isn't just about students dealing with special education service, receiving special education services. This is about all students. And yes, I do intend to teach in the Syracuse City School District, or at least in Syracuse. Right now, I am doing stuff with the Academy of Excellence. I am going to be teaching sessions there. The the Academy is not a school, however. It's supplemental educational organization. And unless it ever becomes a school, yes, I am probably going to teach in a school in Syracuse. I'm going for elementary. My goal age is between first grade and third grade. Mm. That's one of the reasons that is, is because those are the ages when a lot of our our ideas, our ways of learning, our effects that they'll have on our future learning really begin to form. And this is the age where a lot of autistic kids are really not getting what they need. Newly diagnosed oftentimes, not the autistic kids who are older get what they need anymore. But this is one of the age ages where identity starts to form. And if you don't see yourself in those who are teaching you and those who are teaching you, don't bother. Don't bother to do anything for you. Don't bother to, you in a good situation don't bother to help you whether that's your parents adults in your community or in this case the school system that's going to form and that's going to that's going to that's really going to have an effect on your identity of yourself in mm-hmm. general and if you're autistic, if the fact that you're autistic was at play there your relationship to your identity as an autistic person for, me, tell that you for feel, me, it was tell that you feel school. My people, my the adults weren't there, and again, we have to. I, I want to be the person for people that may not have that at home. I was that person for in eighth grade who didn't have that at home, but
0: I also wasn't getting it at school.
1: The, the adults. I can that tell that you feel deeply
0: about this. That it, it's got a, it's had a deep, lasting impact on you, and I think your story highlights just how important it is for teachers to be equipped to meet the the social emotional needs of their students. Teachers need to be equipped with training. They need to be equipped with support from their administrators, support from district level leaders. They need to be equipped with their own social emotional resources because teaching is not an easy job I'm, yes. I'm the daughter of a, special, a retired special education teacher. <laughs> this is not an easy job. No. It is not for the faint of heart shaping young minds and helping to shape people's identities, as you pointed out, Liza. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's just one of those vexing things that we invest so poorly in public education. The, the stakes are really are high, this is about the shaping of the future generations in the city of Syracuse. We also but have to know don't seem to understand and appreciate how important that is. Yeah,
1: we also have to note that in the Syracuse City School District, the issue of not having an adequate home life, the issue of not having that safe space at home. Mm. does not just apply to disabled students, yes. that rate increases when you take minority ethnicity in, into account, not due to anything about the ethnicity, but due to the pit situations they tend to be in. For example, that rate of abuse increases with lower socioeconomic class, it increases with certain neighborhoods due to that socioeconomic class. It increases due to a number of factors that are not intrinsic to the people in the situation, but are the groups from whom our students come. And so this aspect of providing a safe space, which I wanna do where they may not have it at home, where they may not have that environment that's safe to learn at home because the neurotypical kids just like us have their minds in continuous, this is dangerous, this is dangerous, this is dangerous mode. Yes, because yes. that's the way they are at home. And if we don't provide that safe space in our schools, they're not gonna have a, a space for learning. And yes. this is, I don't know the statistics for Syracuse. I'm sure I could call the Department of Social Services and see if they have any statistics. But we know that Syracuse is one of the highest centers concentrated poverty, as Josh likes to point out, and as I like to point out as well, because that affects what goes on in the city. And we also know that rates of abuse, whether from parents or other adults, increase with that level, with that lower socioeconomic status. That was true for me, regardless of what my parents did. That was true of what my mother's friend did, and I didn't, I didn't have a a safe space to learn because I had to worry about the fact that I was living in a room that was used as a sewing room slash closet.
0: I had to to worry about the way she was treating me. And this- housing insecurities that you're talking about, you're essentially talking about housing insecurity, which- is a huge problem here in syracuse and we know this is a problem yeah that there are so many people who they don't know where they're going to sleep at night kids don't know where they're going to sleep at night they carry their belongings in a huge bag because they don't know where they're going to land at the end of the day and i'm sure that level of toxic stress is making it difficult for students to learn yeah, and the vexing issue is that we know this is a problem. But we can't seem to figure out what to do about it. yep and, and other districts have figured this out other states have figured this out yeah what are we missing <laughs> that we cannot have those yeah. same kind of resources. Here that, in the state of also,
1: That also correlates with hunger. And if a student doesn't know where their next meal is coming from, that's also going to be an issue. And what you talked about about children carrying their belongings with them. I'm sure Rain, who you had on here a couple of weeks ago, could attest to that mm. for foster children. Yes. This is something that, st- that children from a lot of different backgrounds go through from a lot of different causes. It's not just about disabled kids, but that's where I'm speaking from because that's. Who I am, and that's what my life is. I am more than my disability, but what I work on is because of my disability. This happens to kids from a lot of backgrounds. This probably is something to be concerned about for the majority of kids in our district, not the minority. And it's especially present when we compare it to districts around us, like DeWitt, JD, mm-hmm. and especially FM. And that for multiple reasons but we know that those districts have more money and are able to tend to provide more things for their students we don't know why that is we don't know whether it's training that the teachers are nicer not nicer but more willing it could be because of the amount that they get paid they're willing to de- deal with they're willing to do more but we know that those districts students tend to have better experiences regardless of their identity characteristics. And we know that those schools have more money to be able to provide things to their students. And they are not a
0: majority of the people going through this, which really is um, an issue of Syracuse City School District, one of the districts in the county with the highest needs. We aren't getting the resources that we need to address the needs of our students and our families and again we know this we already know we already know this we already know that the district is seriously disadvantaged by choices that are made at the state level Mm -hmm. by choices that are made at pretty much every level of government because we don't seem to really value education we say that education is important. We say that educating children are, is important. But when it comes time to allocate the funds, something changes. Oh, no, this other thing, that's a little bit more important. You know, somebody's got to get a raise or, or something. And and all of a sudden, the funding that's supposed to go to our students. Yep, peers
1: Well, you're talking about choices of, you're talking about choices of every single level. I mean, we have to get back to your favorite, one of your favorite subjects, the history and effects of redlining and gerrymandering. Yes.
0: And before we get too far, too far afield having that conversation. Yes. Because you can see it, you can see it driving down the streets in Syracuse where those lines on the maps were. You can see it in the quality of the houses. You can see it in the size of the lots, yeah. uh, the width of the streets. Oh, <laughs> I forgot to mention, uh,
1: how did I forget to mention this? After the earthquake, when I was homeschooled, we lived around Fayette and Beatty. Anyone who knows Syracuse will know, or at least knows the Eastern side of Syracuse, but not into East Syracuse, will know what that area is. Mm -hmm. There is a very clear delineation there, like Sam was talking about. And we had issues with our neighbors. Their son was smoking marijuana on our property. But the son, the bottom floor of the house next to us was a family. And the top floor of our building was the rest of the family. So the son would come onto our property, would make me nauseous. It would, No one liked it. We tried to talk to them about it. We tried to talk to our landlords about it. When we tried to talk to the people on the next lot who whose son this was who, he was schizophrenic. So there's that's a whole other issue that we have to talk about mental health at some point, but we mm-hmm. got death threats and that affected my schooling. That's one of the reasons why I've blocked a lot of things before that, that period out. And that affected my ability to learn. I was constantly worried for my life. And I was, I eventually believed that it would happen and someday and you know, just, I'm not going to talk more about this because if I were, we were going to, we would need a a trigger. And I probably should, should have mentioned that beforehand, but that impacted my ability to learn. And we were the only white appearing family there. And I don't wanna say that that was racist, but it was racialized. And we, we were still in the same socioeconomic classes they were, we were struggling, we were still, I was going through the same things that other students from that environment would go through. We received death threats, basically going back to that i lived in that area, I saw what happened. There were gunshots twice a week, if not more. And that is not a space where a child can learn. And that is true of other parts of Syracuse where you can see yeah. those clear delineations. You can see and you can hear what is happening around you. And that
0: is not going to allow a child to properly learn. And I think what part of what your experience highlights is the fact that the the lack of investment in the city the lack of investment in the schools affects all of the students regardless of their ethnicity regardless of their race yes this just isn't a good situation for anyone so it's important you know it was unfortunate that that your family couldn't find that common ground with your neighbors in your shared Mm -hmm. struggles. But we need to understand that here here in Syracuse, it's not about white versus black. It's not about this ethnicity against that ethnicity. We are all being done a disservice. Exactly. By the way that our city is neglected, by the way that our schools are neglected, this does a disservice to the entire community. And we all suffer. And I think it's people who live outside of Syracuse need to understand that you yeah. suffer from this as well. This stuff doesn't just, the rot, the decay, the, the, the disinterest, it doesn't just stay here, it spreads. It doesn't
1: end where the wit starts. It doesn't end this street. Where where you suddenly turn into DeWitt or East Syracuse. It it's there's no boundary like that. Just like there aren't clear boundaries of cultures, there aren't clear boundaries of any of this. There is not a clear boundary of this experience. If you if you are in a district that has more money, yes, you're likely to have a different experience. But this does not end where DeWitt or East Syracuse or any of the ones that directly border Syracuse, this does not end where they start. Correct.
0: And I think it's important for us to all recognize that we are all connected and what Mm -hmm. troubles one of us, troubles all of us. My sisters and I, we have a saying, we've had this saying since we were little girls, you trouble one of us, you trouble all of us, you come for one of us, you're gonna get all of us. Yep. (laughs) And I think that's an attitude that we need to develop here in Syracuse with respect to advocating for ourselves, advocating for our children. And people need to understand if you disadvantage one group, disadvantage one of us, that disadvantage affects all of us. It doesn't stay cooped up into one little community. Yes. I could keep going but I probably shouldn't. So it's gonna be interesting watching your career as a teacher in the Syracuse City School District, having been a student who was unable to complete your education in the Syracuse City School District Mm -hmm. because of the lack of resources here in the district, because of, of the poverty that persists And because of the unimaginative leadership that can't figure this out. Um,
1: We were under a different, we were under a different administration, but a lot of the bases, the bases, bases, whatever, are still the same. Um, The people matter, the difference that people make matters, but the attitude confirms transfer from one to another, and there has to be a real effort to stop it.
0: You can't go to. I wanna wanna ask you, um, based on your experiences as a student, and as a resident of Syracuse, what would you suggest as as the beginning of a solution? There, There are no magic bullets that are gonna immediately fix this. The, yeah. it, this took a long time to create and it's going to take a long time and a lot of work to fix. What would you suggest as, as a starting point for how we can begin to correct the dysfunction and the, the, just the mess that it, that is yeah. what we have for public education here in Syracuse?
1: Oh that's that's like you said that's you got four really- minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be able to figure this out in four minutes. Sure, <laughs> I know I'm not. But um, first, I would I would have to say, in the future, try and gain greater representation. And we're trying to do this right now with candidates for school board or Joshua Michael King, who were who for whom I'm actually the uh, campaign chairwoman. So you know, get out there and vote and you can find him on Facebook. But what we really need to do in that regard is gain greater representation and understand people from these communities. I know that be less divisive seems just and, 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 and understand other people seems just like too big of a solution. Yeah, seems too vague of a solution, too easy. It's not. It's very much not. Mm. Representation really, I don't know how to fix it, but there needs to be this understanding. There's really this misunderstanding of what education is here for. And that's mm. not just true in Syracuse, but Syracuse is very much exemplary of it. You. Education needs to be a safe space and education, I mentioned this at the beginning, a lot of education is is made easier, at least in our current system, if children are acting like the stereotypical normal of society and a lot of the, the, the time students who do not fit that mold get, is to get them to be that way. Sometimes ELL learners, English language learners, are not, ELL students are not getting just English. They are, in, whether it's explicit or implicit, the message that they get, that they often get is that you have to be like the other people. You have to, it's going to be easier for you. It's going to be easier for your the people you work with who are like them. Not if you learn, and there's an, a very much an attitude of apathy here. Not if you learn, but if you will go through school if you are like they want you to be. School everywhere is often not about teaching and valuing the students' experiences and identities. Teaching, sure. But it's often about giving students the message that by teaching them, they have to be like others.
0: And if you're out of that in any
1: way, disability, ethnicity, language, class, you are singled out. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of education, what you education is supposed
0: to do. You make a great point when you say that we seem to have a fundamental misunderstanding of what education is for. I tend well, to I think, think education is. is for building up the next generation. Yes. am not sure how other people are thinking about education, but that's what I think education is for. Yep equipping the next generation of people in Syracuse to lead the city of Syracuse.
1: And it's not a lot of people, it's not you exactly, it's not that a lot of people are not trying. It's that a lot of people are complacent. And then we get into a question of whether complacency is complicity. And we can talk about that for hours in history, but I believe that it can be. And if you want this to change for your kids, you have to, have to try and get together with other people and make your voice heard, especially if you are from these communities. If you are not from these communities, do not talk over people from these communities, but help to elevate their voices. And as I think was said in the Life Fantastic documentary that we recorded about mental health, what was it, two and a half years ago, almost three now? Has mm-hmm. to be?
0: Something like that.
1: Yeah. Um, it was stated that Syracuse is really a transition city. People come here, people leave. And that's not what we want. We want the students that are educated here to be empowered to stay here and uplift yeah. our community and change our community. and really be a part of our community, and that's not what's happening. The students that do stay here, there isn't a community. There are smaller communities within the city who are struggling to survive, but there is not an understanding of a greater community of the city as a whole, or even of neighborhoods as a whole.
0: We are out of time and Liza, I wanna thank you for joining us here on Fireside Chat Friday, sponsored by Parents for Public Schools of Syracuse. And thank you for doing double duty um, as, our, as our other guest wasn't able to join us. <laughs> no and You know, I, I look forward to, to hearing more about what you do as you bring your skills and your experiences back to Syracuse for the good of Syracuse. <clears throat> Again, this is Fireside Chat Friday, sponsored by Parents for Public Schools of Syracuse. I am your host, the idea dynamo, Samantha Pierce. You can find us live on Facebook every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we're on the Eastern Seaboard, folks. <laughs> so do that math. I know we're all still reeling from daylight savings time. Oh, oh yeah! Come on, Congress, get it together. But I digress. We are here to give voice to the families and students of the Syracuse, of Syracuse on all matters related to education. You can also hear us on Straight Independent Radio, and you can find video on YouTube. Thank you for joining us, and I'll see you again next week.